previously on Two Star Two Trek. Fully God. automated luxury gay space communism. Love that shit. Three, two, one, Death Star. Greetings, friends and fellow Trekkers. Welcome to Two Star Two Trek, a podcast uh, diving into the two-parters of Star Trek and beyond. We are finishing up our miniseries on The Next Generation with... All Good Things! It's the last one! Right, because the last one always ends in a two-parter. And I believe this one aired as a single movie um, and is split into two parts in syndication. Right, right. Like a full hour 25, hour 30. Uh, My name is Ryan. I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Caitlin. Live long and prosper. And then we have three fabulous guests joining us this evening because it's the finale, so we're going big. We've got Forrest, Justin, and Michael. Forrest, how are you doing this evening? I am excited to leave the next generation at warp 13. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) Michael, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing great. It's really, it's kind of a bittersweet one for me. Um, Got a lot of feelings tied up in this episode, happy to discuss. But I'm not excited about leaving it. Um, Even when it was canceled, it's kind of a... The entire episode kind of reeks of just bittersweetness, right? We're saying goodbye fondly, yeah. mm. and we're trying to stay happy about it, but there are moments where it's just hard to keep keep the smile going. Right, definitely. Yeah, series finales are always tough. They're always emotional. And, you know, for better or for worse, you know, everything's got to, like, stop at some point. So we will definitely get to that. Finally, our last guest for the evening. Justin, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing amazing. It's a three timers club, right? Like we've all we've all now entered the illustrious top tier of guests, in which you know we get an extra pip on our collar uh, because we not only are sending out a show, but you know we're we're wrapping up the whole era of Star Trek, yep, right? TNG is kind of considered like one of the heydays of Star Trek, so now we just kind of we get to reconcile with it. We get to kind of say our final words about it, and then we get to. Go on. I almost, I almost just like spoiled the last ending, the last bit of the episode. But it's too good right. to spoil. And I mean, after this, you know, we all get to live on the giant green shopping mall in space known as DS Nine. So there's still lots to come. <laughs> Do not worry about that. But let's. I dive. heard they have a build a bear. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh, they told me. You know that Garrick's running a build a bear on that station. <laughs> How how good or bad is the uh, Cinnabon in it? Like, is it is it like a Cinnabon that people like specifically travel to, or is it one that people are like, you got to stay like away a from DS9? Cinnabon that occasionally so, accidentally yeah. does a genocide, and you're like, ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, a Saurian works there, and they're just like really shifty all the oh, time. Geez. Stop now! Last Cinnabon in the Alpha. Klingons <laughs> <laughs> would really, really like Cinnabon. Uh, That's fair. Oh, hundred percent. <laughs> <laughs> to go with that prune juice 
just like they're just like hammering them like before they go and see like you know bridget jones's diary and like the crappy three you need, you need the fiber from the prunes so you can digest all those cinnabons <laughs> <laughs> do you think klingon fast food they hand out tiny little plastic batlets like as like to go silverware Absolutely. there's no way they give you like the baby, baby's first disruptor or something <laughs> like Anyway, back to TNG. Our kid personally listens to Baby Kalis all the time. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. Huge. Oh, yeah. You've been saying, oh, here's my, my, my baby's first Klingon opera. You played it for him in Wound. Like, we all, we all did it. Junior's first Klingon Shakespeare. I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> oh, now you're just showing off. Don't, come on. Don't. So, this episode starts off with... Jean-Luc running to Deanna Troy and Worf, who I always forget this when I watch this episode. At this point in season seven, for some reason, the writers are like, what if Deanna Troy and Worf were dating? And it's just, it's very, very weird. But it was a very, like, chaste relationship. Right. Well, that's kind of Star Trek's brand of sexuality all over, isn't it? Like, it's just a lot of stolen glances and kind of like... Walks on uh, hollow beaches. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like just a lot of like very kind of like uh, middle of the road petting. Like, it's very junior high kind of like this. But also, it's it's neat because this episode kind of starts out like any other episode. Like, it's it's got like banter between uh, Troy and Worf. They're they're talking about something, and then all of a sudden, Picard just crashes into the episode <laughs> like, like a crazy uh, uncle, uh, mm-hmm. agent. Yeah, a like sh- Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks, <laughs> a shirtless just crazy uncle, uh, raving about like what year is it? Like it's so insane, just right off very of the bat. Yeah. Very like I'm right there in it. Right, it pulls you in really yeah. fast. It sets up. Hey, we're gonna do this dumb love thing with Troy. No, we're not. Here's Picard, and he's going through time. surprise i i have a certain respect for tv shows that when they do their final episode they just do an episode of the show like they just kind of like barely barely acknowledge the fact that the show is ending and that's kind of what the the star trek that's what the tng movies did as well i think more more effectively than any of the tos movies they just were like well what if we had money for a movie but we just did an episode that's what insurrection is Oh, and that's why Insurrection is so it awesome. Is. I actually rewatched that here as an adult because after I, I rewatched TNG, and I was just like, this rules. It's just like a double side episode, yep. and F. Murray Abraham is just chewing the scenery. <laughs> uh, but no, I, the fact that it starts out as every other episode, like, fooled me as a viewer in, like, oh, is the, are they just going to do just like a a weird like problem of the week episode for their for their final episode but then picard careens in and drops this huge plot idea in the middle of it and just completely upsets the entire apple cart like not even five to ten pages well, and, into the and, script and what's nice uh, yeah and what's nice about this uh the way that they kind of handle that is that they actually use the double feature to grow into that and let us kind of uh, you know, f- grow into the uncomfort of the time jumps and the and the you know the scenario of it all with them. Whereas some of these, some of the two hours, some of the two parters, you can tell there's padding. There's everything is really tight and essential throughout this episode. Yeah, I think the thing that comes together after you've watched the entire thing is that 
you realize that what you're watching is Q's Christmas Carol, where Picard plays all of his own ghosts at the same time throughout space (laughs) and has to, like, have them all solve a Rubik's Cube together. And you don't really put that together until, like, you get to the end and you realize that, like, what you saw at the beginning was just the in-media res, like, Christmas Carol. Oh, I just, uh, I was just going to agree. I think it's really interesting how the episode kicks off and then immediately, like, there's no time to waste, right? We only have an hour and a mm-hmm. half. We have to make this entire thing work now, which means that this B plot, which is actually present throughout the entire episode, is amazing mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. pulled that off. But we don't have time to waste on it. We have to get to the thing right now before the episode even starts. Let's go. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and then we immediately jump to the future and we are at the winery. Uh, you know, he's <laughs> Chateau Picard. Chateau Picard. Nasty. Picard is an old man in France, and none other. <laughs> you get Lavar Burton giving like this weird, and they frame it in a weird way. Like you're not sure if Picard is hearing things, if he's like going nuts, if anything is like real. And then Lavar Burton turns the corner, and I do believe this is the first time we've seen him without his visor. And that's like a really cool way to show the passage of time because I know LeVar Burton hated wearing that thing. He's said so (laughs) multiple times. And they've both visibly Mm -hmm. aged within like a band of seconds. It's so immediately disorienting. This is also why I mentioned Twin Peaks Mm -hmm. earlier. It's just like this episode is so uh, existentially horrifying. (laughs) Like it just, just as an episode of television just to think that you're just careening through your own life with no control over where and what you see or what you re-experience or what you even experience for the first time. Like the idea does major, major psychic damage to me, (laughs) but like, but like you guys were saying, it's, it's all laid out so meticulously that even when it is disorienting, and it starts to kind of congeal towards the the middle where you where you get the where Q starts to actually see the idea of why this is happening to Picard. It never just like completely throws you in the deep end, right? Right. It, it, like it's it's like intentionally, uh, you know, it it's dis, yeah. it's distorting, it's it's disconcerting. But throughout this episode, there's you know there's a flow and there's a you know, the the pacing and the energy picks up as much as Picard is starting to understand, you know, his, his what he can do, what he can know. And it's like, uh, by the end, it's like, you know, Q, it's Q's director's cut of the end because <laughs> all of the jumps are so perfectly timed and it's all working together so well. And, and it really becomes this, like, you know, really powerful, almost comforting thing, knowing that thing, everything's under control. But at the start, you know, it's all the, all the cute details, whether it's the future of the winery and Jordy with Jordy with his eyes and Picard with his hat or it jumps back in time and Tasha Yar's there. And it's like, Oh, I recognize those strangely striped uniforms and uh, Denise Crosby. Good to see you again. So I'll like, no, you, but you're absolutely right. There's such a, there's such an intention to it. And like, there's such a, even in those early scenes, they're showing you precisely what you need to know and precisely what you need to see and nothing else. Mm-hmm. It's no extraneous details. It doesn't let you get like caught in the weeds of like why or what's happening to him right now. And then also it starts to introduce other really interesting plot points. Um, like you were also saying that like this could all be in 
Picard's head, like feasibly could be in Picard's head. Like we've seen over now seven years of television that these things just kind of happen to them and like they have to One deal thing with that them. does happen a lot though is in these particularly like in the first like i'd say 25 35 minutes of the episode is picard starts seeing like all of these people like shouting and jeering at him and like shaking weird mm-hmm. umbrellas and it's the jury from encounter at farpoint mm-hmm. and yeah. you know when I first saw this, you know, we watched TNG sequentially. You know, we watched episode one, episode two, episode mm-hmm. three, so on and so forth. So I didn't have the foresight to put it together like, oh, that's what this is. You know, I, I didn't make that connection right off the bat. I mean, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. hindsight's twenty twenty. Having seen it multiple times now, I the, the jig is up, so to speak. But it's just a cool thing that they threw in. Yeah, and for most viewers, this is seven years removed, right? It's right. seven years mm-hmm. of television mm-hmm. past in history with these characters. To pick up on the fact that this is the jury from the trial all the way back in the first episode, that takes a lot of like processing and really paying attention to this. So what yeah. I really like is that, no, they don't give you that tidbit until basically halfway through. and. Something right. is this where the cut is when it, it's two parters? Because like we we said on it's on Netflix right. as one complete like TV, but it was cut in syndication. You know when correct? we watched it over two nights, um, about the halfway mark is when Q reveals himself. So I imagine the cuts somewhere mm. around there. Oh. But Michael, do you do you remember it? Differently? I'm pretty sure that it's when they when Q shows up as the uh, the judge again and announces that no, yeah. in fact, you... okay. Yeah, you assumed that the trial was over. I never said that. You just thought it was. <laughs> and in fact, no, it's not. Oh, good. And it never will be, which is one of the great things and moments in this entire show is that mm-hmm. it's all been this the entire time. We just didn't realize it because we're too caught up with it. That's such a brilliant reveal because like 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 you like you guys said, I I also watched this sequentially kind of as an adult, but I also, I had semi-contact with it whenever it was on TV. And I remember this episode being a big deal that it was ending. But having watched it sequentially and then gotten to this episode, that reveal that like, and I genuinely had forgotten, oh no, he never did render a verdict, quote unquote, in that episode. So oh, yeah. that's brilliant. That like the entire, the entire exploits, everything that we've seen these characters go through, grow through, connect with, like with each other, their own dynamics, it's all been leading up to this one moment mm-hmm. where Q like puts on his judge's hat again and he puts on his judge's <laughs> lipstick again and he's like The best lips in space. Yeah, you kind of forget that at the end of Encounter at Farpoint, he kind of just fucks off. I mean, and then he shows up to like play the trumpet and hang out with Picard on his sex vacation and like he, you know, badgers Janeway in the Delta Quadrant, you know, here and there. But like, really, you know, the Q continuum can do this all day, literally. And mm-hmm. it's it's just such a lovely way to bring it all around. See, I want to take the back foot on this because I disagree. I disagree <sighs> completely. Like to me. To me, it feels like almost like, um, like 
he he was asleep the whole time. The entire thing was oh, a dream. <laughs> like it feels like that kind of trope. Here's almost. my dumb snow globe. Yeah. Right. It's like oh, I, I and then like I look in my snow globe and I wonder oh, what is the possibility of the future? And like I don't know if that's just me not growing up with Star Trek. I don't know if that's you know watching it for the first time as an adult. But to me, it felt very tropey. It felt very like. Mm. And then he woke up. And it's the start of the movie, and we're going to do the opening credits again. Like, you know. I mean, I think if you take it from the perspective, though, that it was pretty clear, you know, he's kind of oblique about it, but Q's directive from the continuum was like, end this. The humans are done. They're stupid. You need to shut them down. So, like, really, what turns into a crossroads for Picard, because he manages to get his way out of it, you know, with a little helping hand from Q, is really mm-hmm. Q kind of coming in and saying, I don't, I don't want to do this. Come on, Prut, just show me. Show me that you can do the thing that we're asking you to right. do so I don't have to do this. And if you look at it from that perspective, I think it's it's more of a closed circuit. Yeah, so, Ryan, when you say that it has kind of that trope, do you mean pulling the trial back into the narrative, or do you mean just this episode has kind of that vibe? I, to me, like, pulling the trial back into the narrative. And I mean, like, I, I understand, like, now having seen uh, TNG and seeing parts of Voyager and things like that, like, understanding that that's, like, Q's thing, quote unquote. Right. But with the trial showing back up, to me, it just feels like a, a nudge and a wink of, like, hey... This has been like a grift the entire time. Like any encounter with the Borg or, you know, um, Worf and the High Council, anything is just like, it's all filler, you know? Like there's there's mm-hmm. four episodes of TNG. There's Encounter at Farpoint Part 1 and Part 2 and All Good Things Part 1 and Part 2. Like end of list. Like it just, it I it truncates a lot of it. And I mean like, I, I think, think, that I think just, that's reductive. Yeah. But, you know, to each their own. It's not the the kind of wrapping of this is more about that, you know, going back to, you know, to explore strange new worlds and seek out new yada yada yada. And Picard says that to Q once Hot Lip shows up there to kind of have a discussion with him. Uh, and Q's like, boring, not good enough, try again. Uh, and is really challenging. And I think that's, you know... I, in my, I remember I have this somewhere on tape with the original commercials oh, from yeah. Microsoft Word <laughs> and uh, and and stuff like that and um, and in my like it's so perfect that Q who is this you know you get Q once a season and in the seventh season he never shows up and then at the very end it's like this return to what does it mean to be exploring strange new worlds what does it mean to actually be challenging the way you think and grow is it just cool we found new aliens send in the second contact team to (laughs) to clean up the mess we caused or is it we're actually thinking about new ways of understanding the universe, new ways. And, and Q's, you know, very antagonistic in the in their first meeting about you're not doing enough. You're not, you know, trying hard enough. Here's a real challenge. He's he's much fonder of all of them by the end of it, which speaks, I think, you know, again, to Q's development. You kind of see it later in Voyager as well. But the fact that this, you know, omniscient being kind of softens as he goes on and becomes more of a, a real boy. 
and like loves watching yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> he, he like and this I think is one of the episode's great strengths is like even though it's it's this it's very heady idea, it's also very reliant on the I think this also kind of speaks to Ryan's point a little bit. It's very reliant on the the audience already having coming to this episode with a genuine connection to these yeah. characters. Like you because like the entire narrative hinges on their dynamic, which I personally think is very beautiful because I'm a sap and I'll cry at anything. <laughs> um, and I, I find that really powerful just as a, as a device, just because I myself just watched seven years of these people going from some completely unrecognizable to the, the crew of next generation that I know mm. today. And I also think this this speaks a little bit, touching on uh, Forrest's point of like when Picard tries to give his defense again, and Q basically says like, yeah, 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 I watched that show. Do something else. Um, I even think that it's it's even more powerful that his rebuttal is, well, I trust everyone around me. I, I've always trusted them implicitly, even whenever, even before I was commissioned the Enterprise. I knew that the people under my command would always, always, always do whatever it is, whatever's necessary for me and the ship in general. And that holds true throughout every timeline. And I think that is even the more even powerful argument than like, oh, we're exploring now, we've evolved. It's not only have we evolved, but we've evolved together better because well, we're together. It, does the idea that Picard has become a better man for his experiences on the Enterprise and the people around him have also become better and stronger really the testament to what humanity is capable of rather than, you know, any kind of superficial explorations or advancements scientifically? As a culture, right. It's just as people, we all ventured out into the dark and we not only survived, but we were better for it. We're better for having done it, and we're better for having known each other. That, I think, is more beautiful than... That, That to me, I think, is just more beautiful than, like, kind of the utopian idea of Starfleet, which is pretty good in itself, but, like, the fact that TNG explicitly makes it about, like, these are the people that are better together in Starfleet and aren't better just for yeah, having been in Starfleet. One of the big overarching themes here is that it doesn't ignore the history of Star Trek that we've just gone through, but it does somewhat reframe it, right? No longer. So Star Trek was all about the main tagline, go boldly where no man has gone before. But Q is pointing out to us that doesn't just mean space. That doesn't just mean Mm -hmm. looking at new planets. Mm -hmm. That means something within yourself as well. You still have a lot of exploration to do. And it isn't all just chart, as he even says outright. It's not just charting stars. You have to do better. You have to be better. And we talked a little bit about Q's kind of development into this more, maybe more like um, amiable character. But ultimately, I don't think that Q was ever truly malicious. I think Q was always mm-hmm. on humanity's side, even from the beginning when he kind of at Farpoint. I think that he always wanted the best for us. He always wanted us to succeed. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair take. I also think that you can be 
fascinated by having watched, you know, humans on your continuum television for millennia and then <laughs> kind of show up and you try to interact with them the first time. It's a little stilted. You come off as a weirdo in a big chair with a big hat. And, you know, over time you learn how to, you know, interact with these people you've been kind of observing for so long. I think that I think that tracks, Michael. I think it does that, you know, he really. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The, he has the tricksterness about him, but I don't know that it was ever truly malicious. It's yeah, it's just like the human condition really fascinates him. Like the the idea of mortality, emotions, like interpersonal dynamics, because like all of these tests or quote unquote that that he's put the enterprise through through the years are are usually based in like mucking with their own dynamics. Like he gives he gives Riker godlike powers. He tries to just like kind of futz with them, put them in danger, put them in adversity and pressure and stuff. And then it all just kind of leads up to this. And that's actually, that's a crazy beautiful way to, to, to look it's, at it. It's a very, almost like a old school sci-fi, you know, Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov. It's, 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 it's one of the things I personally love about science fiction in general. Not Star Trek specifically, but science fiction in general is, uh-huh. you know, exploring the human condition. And I think with TOS in particular, that was more so about, you know, episode of the week and things like that. Whereas this was definitely more focused in on that because I mean, you, you, you introduce characters like Deanna Troy, who is an empath who can feel what others are feeling. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the overall goal is completely different. And Q really like brings that home specifically at the end. So uh, one thing I want to, uh, kind of circle back on is we keep talking about these different timelines. There's three separate timelines. You get one uh, cards of Christmas past. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get <laughs> cards of Christmas past, which mm-hmm. is like his first day on the enterprise. Most uh, they even the do the <laughs> landing before, before they pick up Riker. It's very notable. <laughs> right. That's very important. Pre-Riker, but you'll note that they uh, did not use their precious time to give us the full fly-around of the Enterprise D, which I found immensely disappointing. I could have, I could have used 17 minutes of yes. that. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> these, these scenes are also really jarring because they don't bother to put Worf in his old oh, makeup. Yeah. He's in his new... He's in, he's in the new updated or That's like the true. improved makeup that they finally nailed down over seven years. So he's in his old costume but in like a like a really good makeup. It's it's very odd to be complaining that there's a good well, section for, of makeup for Deanna in this Troy, show. You know, to have the old hair and the old outfit, and you know, mm-hmm. O'Brien, they're you know yeah. shoving him in a girdle to get that thing to look right. And, you know, <laughs> in the background, you got Worf with like the forehead, like the hairline he has at the end of the series, rather than the mm-hmm. confusingly farther back one he started with. Yeah, and the old goatee, it's mm-hmm. just very odd. Like, I, I don't, Well, there's I don't even that one point, though, in in the episode where Picard calls for a red alert and he turns to Worf and says, Mr. Worf, you know, maintain security level on, you mm-hmm. know, these floors. And Tasha Yar is like, whoa, hold up. Like, I'm security officer. Like, what are you doing? What's the deal here? Right. And, like, it's just kind of a reminder of like the journey that we as viewers have been on and, you know, this weird temporal thing that's going on in the back of Picard's head in this first timeline. 
there's a really beautiful little moment for them to have him try to give the order to Worf instead of Tasha. Just to kind of remind us again that Tasha Yar is actually, she made it to the finale, right? She was with us the whole time, yeah. right? But yeah, she sure I did. love that Picard has that lapse because it shows so much of his, like, where he's at mentally and emotionally with this. It's beautiful. I mean, it's it's a great... And, you know, I was kind of thinking through this. Tasha, because of the absence of one William T. Riker, uh, <laughs> Tasha's first officer, kind True. of, uh, in this. Because when he goes and broods in his temporal ready room, Tasha has the bridge. So it's really interesting to see them really lean on her in the, in the past Data is still, you know, data and they uses computational, you know, brain power. And I really like the cute scene in engineering where data goes rambling off on a idiot. Uh, uh, Burn know, the midnight oil. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> on an idiom that O'Brien says. And uh, I also love Picard, like, giving O'Brien the big pat on the back, like, you got this, buddy. I know you got this, buddy. Here's an awkward detail about your childhood that I shouldn't know. Um, so it was really great how they just you know, kind of shifted the focus. And it's, it is a great way to, you know, bring, bring Tasha back because, you know, we, I don't think TNG wouldn't have evolved the same way if she had stuck around, no. but it was really interesting to see the rebalancing, right? O'Brien's there. Tasha's there uh, as these bigger players right. because of what they became after the pilot. Well, and I love what, when you mention, you know, his, his moment with O'Brien where he, you know, gets kind of personal with him and he, and then he follows it up with like, I believe in you. And, you know, it's, it's interesting in the context of it's a chance for Picard to kind of try again at social interactions when, as I think when we watched Encounter at Farpoint as a group, we all kind of commented that he's a little like socially stunted at the beginning. He's a little harsher, a little rougher around the edges. You know, he even says to Riker at one point in Encounter at Farpoint, like, you're here to make me look like a normal person, essentially. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it gives him the opportunity to be like, I I really do believe in all of you and it's this it's this space dad moment that like we knew he was capable of the whole time. <laughs> and it's like it's informed not only just with the the emotional intelligence of of Patrick Stewart as an actor, but it's it's also informed by everything that we've seen these characters go through um over the over the, the course of the series itself. Uh that that moment with Picard and and O'Brien is great because it's like I know he doesn't know Bashir, but like it's some, it just seems to me like, oh, you're going to get a weirder and gayer friend than that even in a year. It's going to be amazing. Um, but it's like, it's this weird, like you guys said, it's this weird touchstone back to a, a, an, a version of the next generation that was like really concerned with ship's protocol and like really, really enamored with like kind of the crunchy details of, of serving and living on a ship that's kind of like this this odd backbone of this first timeline. So we've got so we've got this this past timeline, we've got the stuff in the present, quote unquote, which is the this right now current star date in Picard's life. And then we have this future where he's old and has uh, retired his commission from Starfleet and now just runs the winery and just totters around doing whatever he wants. One thing doing grape stuff. One thing that you brought up that I think is very important. You know, uh, we mentioned in our Encounter at Farpoint episode how 
specific it is about, you know, the militarization of Starfleet following protocol, you know, the captains on the bridge signing things off, things like that. And I think one thing that you have to keep in mind is in between season one, the start of season one and the end of season seven, of course, is Roddenberry had died. Mm -hmm. And at that Mm -hmm. point, you have like this titanic shift in the writer's room and the staff and the upper echelons of the show about what Star Trek is. And I think this is kind of, I think, Caitlin, you and Justin both nailed it, where it's like this is kind of their their time to, (laughs) time, their time to go back and kind of, you know, fix that image, quote-unquote, from the beginning of the show. Like a very slight retcon. I mean, and it's interesting because Roddenberry's pitch for TNG, the the earlier kind of pitches of how does this crew interact, who are these people to each other, his original idea was they have no conflict, right? I mean, they make they make fun of that. The the various writers make fun of that in the, the Chaos on the Bridge uh, documentary. You're saying, how do I make stories about people who don't have any problems with each other? And the whole uh, contemporaneous uh, segment of the show for this episode is about uh, Worf and Riker starting to have this wedge between them, this Deanna Troy shaped wedge, <laughs> and then the future is is so deeply impacted by this this tension they have with each other which is so antithetical to what the original pitch of the show was but because these characters have evolved beyond the archetypes they were created to be they they are allowed that latitude and it's just it's it's wonderful yeah and it being so it being so completely rooted in all of their dynamics I think is genuinely one of like I don't if that didn't happen in this episode this episode would just well, be and I feel like because that's it's just like, strong you, television too Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like it without that emotional element or without like this web of dynamics that we know and have enjoyed between these characters, it would basically just be a clip show. A, a lesser show would have, would have just been a clip show. Yeah. There, there is one clip that does show up in the past segment though. Oh my God. And they have to intercut <laughs> pictures of <laughs> thin freaks Without the mustache, without the beard, and I believe it's the scene where he is chasing Data through the holodeck. Oh my god! And they just intercut it into like this, like little TV screen, so they could say, like, "Oh, by the way, like take a couple extra days at Farpoint. Like we'll be there when we get there. You're gonna sit this one out, right? Keep hanging out. <laughs> How much do you guys bet that that was literally a like? Day before filming, they're trying to lock the script. Somebody says, "Holy shit, what are we doing <laughs> in these first scenes?" And then everyone's like, "Fuck!" You know, Michael and Joe throw some hot takes on Breaker. Oh, oh my well, it's, god, it's, it's neat because it kind of shows the uh, the mix. It's it's the change of the teams, right? Past, present, future. Present is. Full team enterprise. Everyone's there. Everyone's got a job to do. Everyone is operating at, you know, peak capacity. And past enterprise is the team is not formed. 
we're adding in these different players of of Yar and of O'Brien, and we're still, but they're still, you know, unified and, and going to do this great job because, you know, Picard is here and he's going to, you know, do his Picard leadership thing and push him through. So we've got pre-team, we've got full power team, and then we've got like 25 years later team where everything's kind of awkward and we're broken and uh, you might be going crazy and Data's got like 80 holographic cats. Uh, but, you know, we're going to try to do our best to, to pull it together. And some people are missing. Some people aren't here. Uh, but we're still going to do, you know, do what we can to, to solve this big mystery. So seeing these kind of iterations of how Picard works with people and how the crew operates together and how these changes over the timelines uh, are operating mm -hmm. Uh, is it just a really neat because you get to you kind of get re get to know each version of the crew and each version of the ship in a way that's it's oh, yeah. really exciting. Are the cats holographic? I mean, I don't think <laughs> some of them are. I don't think they're holographic <laughs> because... cats. Those are real cats, man. Data became a crazy cat lady. That's oh, just man. how it is. <laughs> Oh, he de he de he definitely did. But after after Riker's like, can't give you a ship. See you later. Um, Data's like, uh, computer, uh, put the fireplace back. And what's on top of the fireplace? Oh shit! I missed oh that. That's an amazing detail. <laughs> what if he has an actual live cat, but the live cat was lonely, and he made a holographic cat to be a friend to his oh, real cat? That does seem like something Data would do. Yes. How? <laughs> How many of those are real or not? Because they definitely pet a number of them in that scene. So all right, we're gonna get to the bottom of the next three days. We're gonna we're gonna inventory these cats. Jeez. But the, also the idea the idea that Data took the time to dye his hair so gray is beyond. Well, Jordy brings it up and. Yeah, the fact that Jordy calls him out on it and be like, uh, you're a robot, dude. There's no way that you should have... Well, I thought I mean, it would have a, a touch professor. of distinction to... You That's are true. a robot. You're a robot. No, no one gives a shit. You're a robot. Like, look, I don't, it's so weird that he like took time out of I his day so to do that. Forrest, you're a professor. Do you style your hair like that? I mean, that's all the rage, right? I mean, I took... I, I totally would. I mean, I, there are a number of cats now that it's remote professing. There's always a cat for every lecture. My students know my cats by name. <laughs> they say hi when they appear on the camera. So, yes, I do believe. And also, I love the little subtle thing. Like, Data is a shared professor <laughs> at Cambridge. He's clearly living the life. And he's like, oh, okay, I got a new problem. Hey, Tell that other guy to cover my lectures for the rest of the week. And that's exactly how chair professors are. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's the reason my advisor in grad school was never around. <laughs> he was in China studying trains or some shit. And <sighs> maybe he was just out in space saving time. With his holographic cats. Probably. Oh my gosh. One of his professors came to him the week before. And in the future, <laughs> your future students are going to come to you. It's a never-ending cycle, and it ends with right? data. <laughs> this weird Mobius strip of academia that just like perpetuates yeah. itself through time. Like, but no, it's 
it's all great. Like these details are, are like, and again, they don't overwhelm you with them. They don't like make a big deal out of them. The only thing that they kind of spend a little time on just because they need to establish a little more shoe leather about it is Worf's new position as the, as amb- no, ambassador the to the Klingon Empire. He's a governor. Yeah. Yeah. He had previously so been on governor. the high council at some point and then was kind of in a diplomatic capacity. And then at the time we meet him, he's a, he's a governor. Oh, but there's one more part in the future timeline that like, we just kind of glossed over. There's a part where they get on the medical frigate and somebody says, Captain Picard and both, Jean-Luc and Beverly turn around. Yep. Like, let's let's talk about Beverly that. Beverly with her weird turkey neck prosthetic. Ugh. Gobble gobble, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Thanksgiving episode. The old age, the old age makeup situation on this is a little math, uh, which is kind of weird coming from Star Trek, which is like, at this point fairly well lauded for its makeup oh, yeah. work. Any enemies and left like, in rice for me. I mean, Michael yeah. Westmore could probably age like a nose prosthetic, but no other part of the face. <laughs> it's especially noticeable in the remasters, just right. because you, mm-hmm. you can kind of see most of the seams in a lot of these remasters, even though the remasters are fairly good. But yeah, it's Captain uh, uh, Beverly Crusher, Captain Beverly Picard, uh, commanding one of my favorite... Um, classes of starship and oberth mm-hmm. starship oh yeah uh which is specifically a science and medical class starship which i am quite <laughs> a dorky about it, it has uh, it, the ship has I, like I, a, I like, a medical name it's like the the, the sulk or something the pasteur, pasteur. Yes. i was gonna say the oberon that might be a mm-hmm. different ship though no it's it's the pasteur that's the oberth that, that is an oberth that there's an oberth uh a class starship, which are like in the first season, every time they mentioned a science ship, it was usually an Oberth oh, okay. class starship. That weird, it looks like it looks like a shuttlecock, kind of like it's got this weird, like its nacelle is just kind of looks like a big pontoon on the on the bottom of it. A shuttle, but these men- a, a shuttlecock class <laughs> uh, ship. Yeah, it's <laughs> so. Oh man, that- the the cool. So the really cool thing about the Pasteur is that it's it's like the evolved Oberth, and I could talk about the Oberth class vessels for ages, <laughs> um, but it's got the old, it's got the fear on the front. And so this kind of they they call it an Olympic class because they they see you see one of these in DS9 too. And so they're just this fun little frigate, you know, medical type ship. And I love that I love just Space Doctor Beverly Picard wandering about with her, you know, medical ship. And it makes a lot of sense that that's where, you know, she ends up. Uh, she she ends up. Yeah, and and it's really interesting to think about, you know, for the Picard series where you know where a similar Beverly Picard maybe might be, and and it's because you know some of the some yeah some of the similar threads have been pulled there when we're thinking about Picard. Well, and if it is Beverly Picard, because that's the thing right, is exactly. like you know going back to Encounter at Farpoint, you know, uh, not to beat the dead horse, but you know they do kind of set it up in Encounter at Farpoint that like oh here's this disparate family of you know, there's Beverly Crusher and there's Wesley Crusher and where's dad? Oh no, Picard killed dad, like on accident. Like it, he didn't like shoot him, you know? Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then the ending of it is 
Picard and Beverly end up getting married, but then maybe separating. And like, it's just a very interesting dynamic to kind of think about because it feels very much so like this was supposed to be baked into the DNA of the show at the start. Because they flirt with that Mm -hmm. idea, especially with Wesley, about like treating Picard. You know, we've been joking like, oh, he's like space dad to everybody. But like, I think he was really supposed to be space dad to Wesley. Yeah, I just think it's so interesting that we talk about Beverly and Picard were married. We learned that, and then you fucking nerds talked about the ship for ten minutes. All right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, they're married, they're divorced, and we're like, oh, but this starship has a spherical bridge. (laughs) I'm so much of a fan of the spherical starship. (laughs) No, I love it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> no, it's it's but again, it's all it's all there basically. Like all of this stuff in the future timeline is just stuff that they've just branched out yeah, that's already like in the episode, show. The final episode went back to to the beginning and said, "All right, what did we set up that we never really tied up? We're going to tie it all up right now." <laughs> but we're going to do it in a it's way happening. that leaves ourselves <laughs> open. I love it. I, I think it's very creative writing. How they manage to kind of show right. you where everybody goes without making that in the entire episode, right? It's not just slideshowing through everybody in the future. And it kind of shows you maybe uh, maybe a grim future for the Federation and our our plucky crew of space adventures. Oh, yeah. Until the end where Picard goes back mm-hmm. to the poker game and says, hey, you know what? Wait a minute. Right. And uh, honestly, I don't know if it's just like the structure of the episode or you know, having an entire seven seasons. But honestly, like watching this recently, I find the uh, version of Picard that is in the present to kind of be like the most boring one, you know, because you don't you don't get to see him like make different decisions like he does in the past. And you don't get to see where everybody's gone and how, you know, through the power of Jean-Luc he he gets the band back together. I kind of like wild-eyed future Picard and like the energy he just injects to like all of the old crew because like Worf's only not about it for like three seconds and then he's like yes let's do this I want to fly the ship <laughs> he's like put me in this put me a tactical it'll be great and, Riker, um, no, it's like, I know I'm not going to help you but then goes there anyway right like, dude, what yeah, the fuck? Yeah, he was always gonna go there. <laughs> right? <laughs> he, he knew that like, Picard was gonna I, convince someone to take him over there, so, like, he was gonna have to just keep an eye on the situation. But if he's going anyway, he could have at least given I, the dude a, a ride with him. <laughs> right? Yeah, he wants to make it hard at first, and he's like, uh, I'm bored. But it's like a running gag that just, like, every time somebody new shows up, someone's like, oh, yeah, but Jean-Luc harangued you into joining his dumb mission, didn't they? <laughs> we're like, but we're all secretly excited about it, right? Yeah, we're all secretly excited about it. <laughs> well, like, that's the thing, is there's the scene in 10 Forward where they're all drinking and they're like, oh, man, it's great to see you guys. It's great to be here. And then Jean-Luc walks in and everybody's like, oh, like, oh man. No. Be like, <laughs> the boss is yeah, like, here. Well, and also, he's <laughs> gotten weirder like 
he's gotten weirder and like more abrasive, <laughs> like aggressively. <laughs> so sad about that is they're all sitting there talking to Riker about like, oh, we really wish you could make amends with Worf, who's sitting right over there, by the way, like three tables <laughs> away from them. Why are they all right. with Riker? Like he could Nobody hear them. wanted to talk to Worf instead. That's so me. <sighs> I feel so bad for Worf. He's like the Klingon of awkward family photos. I feel like like he came in with Data and Jordy, and you know they were drinking. And Riker shows up with with uh, um, Beverly or something, and they're like, "Hey, Worf, you want to go drink?" And Worf just like with uh, with Will, and he just stares off into space and pretends they don't exist. And it's such a fun, you know. I would it would a Guinan appearance have oh, been excellent? No, yes, uh, but probably, but yes. that's okay. <laughs> um, just to watch Guinan hiss at Q one more time is all I need in life. Do that weird, do that weird claw, right? Hand. Exactly the the, 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 the very fey energy kind of thing there. But the yeah, it's such it's such a fun thing to see them like you know in these misplaced positions, in these misplaced uh, kind of relationships, and uh, you know just trying to trying to figure out where it all went wrong. Well, and Riker shows up. I mean, you know. Michael, you brought it up earlier. We learned that Beverly is married to Picard, and then these two numb nuts decided to talk about the ship. You're not going to talk about, you know, Mr. Enterprise with three nacelles? Like, <laughs> the floor is I, yours, I guess, gentlemen. Why not four nacelles? Why not five? We, we keep, keep stacking these guys on there. Enterprise with three nacelles, not enough nacelles. <laughs> you want it to look like that old Wright Brothers plane where it's just like eight, eight or ten wings okay. each other, but they're just the cells. But they're not even they're not even pointed out. They're just like perpendicular to the hull, so they don't absolutely. Even, Why like, any ship components other than the cell? I ask you. <laughs> now, Michael, are you aware that the 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 I've seen it in the promos for the new season of Discovery. There's there's a version of the Discovery, I guess, that has nacelles that are detached from the actual <laughs> yes. ship, and they're like ma- attached by like space magnets, maybe. Uh, space magnets. That <laughs> up the wall. I cannot stand it. I don't like it at all. I have um, to see a picture. How of do you make funny. a model of that? And then when it goes to warp, it spins it's... around like a fucking dreidel, and like <laughs> they they gave it a weird like World of Warcraft yeah. like filter out. Like it looks like a weird like. Gunmetal. Like, like it's the thirty-first oh century. Come on. I want to. I want to catch up to understand their weird like ships that run on mushrooms and don't have parts that attach to each other. But like, at the same time, I kind of want to just live in that moment of the t- first time I saw that image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like just live in that hate. I'm actually my unpopular opinion is that I quite like the first two years of Discovery. We're we're still working our way through the first one. Honestly, I've I've this is our second attempt to work our way through it because I hear that it does get much better. Picks up. And I know it, it, absolutely it falls does. victim to the the Star Trek thing that the first season's always a little fucking rough. Uh, always always yeah. always rough. And it the back half definitely picks up and I think the sec- year 2 in in general I think is a much yeah. better season of television. But I've been really dragging well, my feet. On yeah, this we're third gonna have one, to really that... get around to all those nacelles because, like, as we've seen, there is a future version. There's one that has four nacelles. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, Picard. The constellation or the stargazer had four nacelles, so it's not weird. The constellation class had four nacelles. Picard has flown a four nacelle ship. Riker gets the three nacelles. Most have two. A third Some nipple is one. totally normal. It's, it's okay. It's all okay. 
to talking to Cell. <laughs> Next time on Nacelle Talk, we'll take a call from a, uh, from a listener out in Natick who's got a rattling sound when they hit warp three. Here's a tip. All the colors uh, are me, and we're all grumpy about it. <laughs> uh, hey, Bellana, your uh, can you turn up your receiver there? You sound kind of far away. <laughs> Do you have your radio on at the same time as you're calling us? <laughs> that weird. But I I hate the future Enterprise Bridge. It's way too busy. There's like weird like uh, they look like bolts that are that are in the middle of the the, the actual like bridge arch to where tactical and ops are. Um, well, it's got the, yeah, I don't love the, it. the ceiling. Cause they shoot Riker from yes. such a low angle to kind of get like, you know, he's in command. He's taking up most of the frame. The ceiling in it is like this very weird shade of red. I noticed that, but like, it's still like the same, like light fixture. Yeah. So it's like, did they just tell like miles O'Brien at one point? Like, yeah, just go out and switch out. The white bulbs for red bulbs. Like, <laughs> yeah, hey, fix all the running lights and the battle bridge. Yeah, like, you really want to. See. What if red <laughs> alert but um, all the time? That's Riker's <laughs> enterprise yeah. right there. <laughs> it, it's basically just war mode on on you yeah. know Federation ships because like when they go back to yesterday's Enterprise, what's war mode? Red lights and darkness. Warship, yes. the warship episode mm-hmm. of Voyager, red lights in darkness, you know, most yeah, they, of Cardassian okay. architecture, darkness. So <laughs> it's it's just very, this war mode, it's like, ah, oh, what can we do to make the ship look dark and brooding? I don't know. Uh, heat tips. <laughs> Put three extra scrims on all of the background. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then we'll be good to go. Oh, so at the end, uh, it turns out all of them need to fire their lasers or firing their inverse, lasers at the same time. Inverse tachyon pulse. Creates like a weird time thing that destroys amoebas. They all have to drive into this anomaly at the same time. The present Picard being less active than everybody right. else. Like what, what you were saying, like this present Picard kind of just like stands around while the past Picard and the future Picard really work the problem. And then he just kind of benefits from like... The, the buffs and debuffs that are happening from the inverse tachyon pulses that are happening from the other two ships. I, I definitely, I, I felt that this time definitely watching this episode is that the present Picard just kind of is an exposition machine or just kind of, just kind of passively reacts to everything that's happening in the past and, and the future. I mean, he's and then just kind of he's rolls with copy it. copy off of future Picard's homework. That's fine. <laughs> technically future picard started it so he should that's have true to they all it. actually copied off of future data's homework and just propagated <laughs> yes timeline which is the entire show probably when and picard just yeah. took credit for it all um <laughs> and then they all have to like drive into this anomaly at the same time and like you get this really cool shot that they repeat on each bridge where it's like the view screen and you get to see the other enterprises and they do it for each enterprise, uh, which is really cool. But then it turns out like all of them rupture their warp cores and they all die. And this is, this is where 
this is where I feel that trope thing that I was talking about earlier come into play mm-hmm. because everybody dies and then Picard wakes up back in the courtroom with Q. And that's where I feel like it gets like that real like thick coating right. of trope paint. Yeah. Deus Ex Q, right. uh, if you will. Fair. Well, but yeah, uh, Q, Q presents a, a challenge. He, uh, you know, is antagonistic, but also helpful in his own weird way about solving it. So I like it as a resolution because it's not the reset button. And when we get to Voyager, we're going to say reset button uh, oh, every five yeah. minutes. Right. Because even though it restarts the episode, Picard you know experienced that and and did it remembers. and remembers and when he shows back up to troy and Worf, it's like oh we're okay so i like it because it's not just the and it never happened uh kind of thing it's more you succeeded in this challenge you and q you know can make out on the floating uh platform <laughs> uh the floating void platform and, um, you know, and I love the reference to the fish when Q's like, yes, everyone's okay, <laughs> including your fish, which Patrick Stewart actually hated that the fish was in there. Um, but it's it's a really, it, so I think it, it doesn't fall into the trope hole for me because it actually has an impact. Picard does something, he, he learns things, and then he shares that knowledge. So I think that's cool. And it's not reset button time travel it kind of feels like like q's kobayashi maru where like the way Mm. to solve this is you know not gonna be necessarily to to win in a traditional sense but again as we were talking about earlier the the triumph of of human in intinuity and like you know and 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 thought and and cooperation and spirit and that's you know again the 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 real time anomalies and amoebas are the friends we made along the way. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> it also doesn't fall into this issue of like for me at least not tropey because at the end Picard goes to the poker game for the first time in the entire show's history. Yeah. So it's not just it shows it's very Christmas Carol, right? I'm going to show you the future that's maybe right. not the future mm-hmm. you really want, and this is one of Q's clever tricks as well. So we talk a lot about Q oh, yeah. kind of maybe helping more than he should. Q's given this this thing to do by the continuum. He doesn't really want to do it, but he's going to do it in a way that really helps. And the way he chooses to do yeah. that is mm-hmm. to show Picard just the right glimpses so that maybe they can change it. Maybe they can change away from this trajectory that they're on into something more positive. And it starts with Picard mm-hmm. going to the poker game. It changes the entire their entire future around. Well, and I think uh, before we get to the poker game, which I think is perfect, uh, there is a bit where before Picard enters the room, the crew is sitting around talking about like, well, I don't remember it, but Picard says it happens. And you why get would that, he tell us these things? Yeah, why would he tell us these things? And you get that resolution between Worf and Riker uh about the deanna thing yeah, resolution before picard yeah, the resolution in. of a problem that they never even really knew existed it's really really clever so i mean it's it's cool because even though picard is the only one that experienced it 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 still has an effect on others mm-hmm. and that's I, I i think that's something star trek does very very well not just in this instance but well know. and even the fact that picard again would share that information is a testament to how much he cares about these people and their happiness and being like you know there's this vision this, there's this version of us that has had these experiences and and 
not all of them are pleasant and a lot of them move us away from each other. And when we get that opportunity in this, this version I saw in my, my, my potential future, everyone was so excited to come back together because, you know, these, these bonds are what really mattered all along. Right. Uh, Michael, before we started recording, you were talking about this final scene, this poker scene, and I think you described it in a very eloquent way. So I just want to uh, give the floor huh. to you so you can well, talk I about this. I wish I knew the eloquent could. thing that I said so I could repeat it now. So everybody will have to bear with me while I say something much more uh, opish. Uh, the, the last words <laughs> in this entire show, though, are Picard, he's going to the poker game, and then he says, the sky's the limit. And for me, that's such a nice send-up. This the last thing in the entire show is him saying that, right after this declaration between all of them as friends, that what's important in their lives, they're in space, traveling to the right, the the pioneer, the new uh the new west, so to speak. And what's important isn't that. It's not outside of the ship. What's important in our lives is each other. And the sky's the limit, not so much for where we'll go or where we'll travel, but for how much we can actually mean to each other if we just stay committed to one another. And I think it's such a beautiful moment because it really wraps up the entire, not just the episode, but the entire show. Star Trek is predicated on space exploration, but we don't do a lot of space exploration. We do a lot of people talking to each other because that's where the meaning is. Yeah, you nailed it, by the way. You you nailed the eloquence. <laughs> you don't need to worry about that. Uh, yeah, it's it's a beautiful ending. It's probably one of the most famous endings in all of television, I would say. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's feels great. earned. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's just that them just putting a bow on everything because the show got canceled. Like it feel it feels like a natural organic place to leave all these characters together. And it doesn't feel like they've, they've obviously gone through a ton of stuff just, just in this episode, but just over the the course of the series as well. And it just feels like it feels genuinely earned in a way that I don't think shows like this take the time to really earn. But how it stays welcome either, which I really appreciate because, you know, after this point, a lot of shows really started to outstay their welcome. And by the time you get to the finale, you're like, all right, cool. Yeah. Like let's wrap it up. Clock's ticking. And doesn't like, even in the future stuff, a lot of, a lot of shows like this, when they do future episodes, everything's so despotic, everyone's dark, it's brooding and everything. And there are elements of that for sure. But it doesn't break these characters just for the chance to get like uh, uh, a slightly dark future. Like it, again, it feels very organic. It feels like a natural p- progression of stuff that has already been introduced in the show, and it just it genuinely feels like these people have changed ju- as individuals and as a crew going yeah. into this final scene. And it's so it's it's so beautifully encapsulated in just the. the small decision of Picard to go to the card game because it's it's been this big staple throughout the show they're always referencing oh Picard doesn't play Picard doesn't play with us and then it just it's just this simple act of connection that he could have easily have chosen not to do and and years ago in the first season probably would have chosen to not do but now, because of everything they've gone through together and because of their own connections, he feels 
he feels like he finally has a seat with them. And it's just like a very beautiful thing. However, <laughs> not, not all TV shows turn around two weeks later and start filming their first feature length. <laughs> so there's some, there's something, it's a nice wrap up. I talked myself into, and then out of saying it's the best star Trek series finale uh i'm gonna stick with i'm 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 gonna stick with deep space nine for that one for sure but but the right they're going to a film right the next thing is that in two weeks they're all filming generations and then they're going to film first contact and uh insurrection and nemesis uh for better or for worse on the last one so it's not it's it's a finale, but it's also, you know, there's there's a different emotion to it. I think everything that uh, was so eloquently stated uh, by all involved is holds very true, but it's just a little bit, you know, it's you know, it's not the end, right? Mm-hmm. And the the another end is coming, and in fact, the end for the next generation cast and and the Enterprise is actually quite a long ways off. And, you know, in some ways Picard Frankly, is still, still pushing that end off. Right. Yeah. So, so there's something, it's, it's a beautiful last scene. It's a beautiful closing. Um, and I do hope we get Q back in some way, but uh, well, I mean, Q and Picard back. Q yeah. has of course been back too, and will be back in many different ways. But um I, I think that there's just there's just that lingering, you know, back of my mind going, cool, the, the series ended great. Uh, when does Generations come out again? When can I see, you know, when <laughs> yeah. can I see? Right. And like we, you know, like we mentioned before, the Generations in a way feels, Generations feels more movie than episode. First Contact is just amazing. Insurrection is an episode of the Next Generation. Like it is a two-hour special edition Next Generation oh, yeah. episode, and that's what makes it amazing. Nemesis is a bad two-hour <laughs> episode of the Next Generation, but it still is one. You mean um, Tom Tom Hardy and his Technicolor Dreamcoat? We've we've already on this show rewritten Nemesis to just be Dune buggy chases, so yeah. we don't need to go that back to that. Um, but yeah, so it's it's definitely. You know, it's such a strong ending of the of the Star Trek series finales. It and, you know, the Deep Space Nine finale are on their own universe. Um, but there's, you know, there's a little bit holding you back, holding me back from from really just, you know, that sigh of, oh, yeah, so how just, nice. It's like, oh, how gonna, nice. Yeah. So I um, there's such a there's such a weight to this, though, at least for me. And I remember being a little kid sitting on the floor with my dad sitting next to me and we're watching this and I didn't know that there was a movie coming out in whatever however long I didn't even realize that the show was ending right like I had no idea that any of this was happening I didn't know that shows could end I didn't know that the next generation was going to say goodbye and then take off and do something else so I'm just sitting there on the floor it's the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that I ever watched, like, new. Um, and so for me, it's always going to have that special place in my heart that the movies and Picard and all these other things, none of them can ever get there. None of them will ever get to where this episode gets for me because this is the episode that we say goodbye with. 
And we don't just say goodbye to to the next generation and all these characters. We say goodbye to something very special, a very special moment in all of our lives. Um, whether you watched it back then in the 90s or now, we lived with these characters for seven years, and whether they're in movies or not, I don't give a fuck. This is the end of the next generation. I agree. One, 100,000 percent. And um, it's not just because it's, it's, it's not just because like Nemesis is a bad movie <laughs> and it's not just because that, you know, Picard, the series like uh, touches on some stuff of TNG and, and runs with that as well. But I, I feel like, Michael, you really nailed it on the head. Like, this is... There's an era. Yeah, this is this is the era. It's It's got more weight to it, you know? And, I mean, like, the thing that sucks about um, modern pop culture and modern media, I think, this is just my personal opinion, is that everything is a rehash, a reboot, a revisioning, a... Uh, a new exploration. Where's the character now, 20 years from now, you know, whereas I think, I think, you know, Michael nailed it, you know, the, the sky's the limit. And like, I don't need to know what that limit is. I I like that air of mystery about it. You know, I like, I like that. Um, it's a weird, like poetic sense of, of these characters still have future and road ahead of them. Right. It's 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 not fatal, but it is final. And I it it feels very optimistic, which is something that I love and appreciate about Star Trek far and beyond, I would say, any other um touchstone of pop culture, you know, comic books, other movies, you know, Alien, Predator, Terminator, whatever, you know. Uh Caitlin, did you have any thoughts on TNG as a whole, not necessarily uh you know, the end of all good things, the end of uh, this particular two-parter, sure. but TNG as a whole. Yeah, I mean, TNG was was my Star Trek growing up, right? It was the one that I got to watch and, like, stay up to watch, which was very exciting. And then, you know, once the the series finally did end, you know, we had a handful of the episodes that we had either... Um, there were a handful of episodes you could buy for VHS, usually two-parters, um, or episodes that canonically... Um, were an arc or told a story. And we had a couple of those, but um, All Good Things was the one that we had like taped like Forrest off the TV with the original commercials where, you know, when I would be homesick uh, from school, I would, I would watch, you know, that or something very similar. <laughs> so it was just kind of ingrained in my brain over the years. Um, and then even, you know, it was the, the, the remasters when they aired on, I believe it was Spike TV and, um, having it even available now to go through with you as an adult. Um, it's, it's something that I come back to and I get something different from every time. Right. Um, you know, my personal relationship with these characters, my family moved around a lot when I was a kid, but like, even though I was constantly in new schools, meeting new people, having to deal with new situations, this one thing was consistent. Right. And these group of, you know, friends that, did space stuff together was consistent. And so you start to form bonds with these people over time. And then when you have an episode like all good things, you know, it really provides that closure that like you wouldn't otherwise get in real life when there are transitions and when there are closings and, and moving on to the next thing. So like for me, 
the TNG cast is just very comforting in a way that a lot of pop culture never reaches that zenith. So like, you know, even with some of the movies that aren't as good, Technicolor Dreamcoat is, you know, being able to to feel that weight of what they bring to my development as a person. Right. And I think this this finale is just so damn good at what they're trying to say and to be able to say it in 120 minutes or so is just outstanding and so i think you know for people like me who grew up with these characters as like an extension of what friends might be like um it's you know it was very powerful uh forest uh your closing thoughts on tng as a whole oh tng as a whole is just <laughs> it's was such a you know it was the rebirth of star trek right and when you look back at the original series episodes and and how tng uh, you know grew out of some of those ideas and, and grew beyond a lot of them you know tng has all of these wonderful it's it's a wonderful tv series because it has great episodes and great characters as bad episodes and bad characters and it's something that you know you can really just jump into and play around with and and enjoy on whatever level you want to enjoy whether it's uh debating the finer details of how the turbo lift system works on an oberth class uh starship <laughs> or if it's you know just enjoying the the makeup and you know today's hairstyle of diana troy uh it's it's fun right tng is fun it's interesting there's something for every possible interest you could have and while it doesn't have the you know the threaded deeply character driven uh growth in storylines that the deep space nine is going to end up having you can see how the changes happened across the seven seasons and these hints the like the beverly jean-luc relationship that's was hinted at throughout and kind of grew here or you know Worf learning to have feelings beyond rage uh, and you know of course data's growth and uh um and you know all the the beard and all the other pieces in between um tng is is really just a wonderful uh it's just a wonderful series that really tng provided the basis for the the star trek era that you know in a way is can is you know closed with you know, TNG in a lot of the ways set the stage for DS9, for Voyager, for Enterprise. It kept the Star Trek light alive in a lot of ways with the movies once Enterprise ended. And is still, you know, a core part of what Star Trek is. Uh, Lower Decks wouldn't exist the way it did without TNG. Picard obviously wouldn't exist. Um, and, you know, Discovery's charting its own path. But in a lot of ways, I think it looks to TNG... Uh, more than more than some maybe it looks to DS9 as well, but I, I think that it sits on this kind of rebirth of of Star Trek is right, Jean-Luc Picard. Definitely. Justin, do you have any closing thoughts uh concerning TNG as a whole? Yeah, I just I I have a really weird relationship with this particular show, with this particular incarnation of Star Trek, just because I I came at it from kind of a, a less uh um 
close place than I, I, you guys. A lot of my contact with this show was strictly through the movies. And I kind of thought the show was a little stodgy and kind of boring. And, and I didn't really get it whenever, whenever I was a kid. And even now, I'm, I'm very appreciative that I waited until now and to watch the, the Next Generation. Because I, I genuinely feel like I wouldn't have gotten nearly as much out of it then as I have now. And just, and like, uh, like y'all said, just tracking it from the original series into the next generation. It's, it's both night and day, but it's also completely Star Trek. And then realizing that not only is it Star Trek, but it's Star Trek on top of an ensemble cast on top of genre riffs on top of like genuine introspection into like the characters and the situations that they're putting the characters through. And it, it all culminates in this, you know, super weird, intensely disorienting, but like also immensely charming and, and, and almost violently emotional finale that like it, gives you everything that you love about the show and sets it up in such a place that you can leave it behind if you want to, knowing that these characters are better than they were when you watched them during the pilots. And I just, like you guys were saying, it's, it's such a comforting show. It's such an interesting show to just kind of really dig into. Um, it's very easy to watch too. Uh, a, a buddy of mine on Twitter actually said that, and this is something that I didn't, I genuinely didn't put together until he said it, that both TNG and Deep Space Nine, their color palettes are so comforting and like so easy to just like watch and fall into that it's just easy to just have it on more so than a Discovery or a Lower Decks just because there's so much happening, there's so much sheen to it. It's just kind of like almost, almost bland enough to just constantly be watching, but it's just it's just comforting. It's so, it's so beautiful to kind of see them all grow as people. And as a crew, it's, it's interesting to see the plots that they go through. It's interesting to see where they even go through, um, in the movies. Cause they, they, they all kind of have a genuine arc, excuse me, throughout most of the movies, but it's just like, I'm so glad that I now as an adult and as a Star Trek fan, have this experience with you guys and just with myself, just because like this was always something that I kind of felt semi a part of just because I was always the kind of weird guy going like, I don't really love TNG. And then everybody threw me out onto the street and never talked to me again. Um, but now, but now having the context and, and having kind of picked through it a little bit more with you guys, like I genuinely see it for like the iconic and like stalwart show that genuinely stands the test of time. <laughs> I, yeah, no, it, it stands the test of time. And that's, I think the best part about it. Uh, Michael, do you have any thoughts on TNG as a whole? And then I have a bonus question for you after you're done. I'm going to start with the story because I love stories. A few years ago, and by a few years ago, now I mean about seven or eight years ago, because I'm old, I was in a bar, <laughs> and I was a little bit drunk, and there were other people around me, and they were also a little bit drunk, and we started talking about Star Trek, 
And I started talking about the next generation and what it kind of means to me and all of the, um, just all of the baggage in it. But I have a tendency to, so when I love something, instead of talking it up, I guess I just talked it down for about 10 or 20 minutes. I talked about all the stuff that I hated (laughs) about it and all the stuff you can nitpick with it and how so much of it is just so stupid. And when I was done, one of the guys looked at me and said, wow, you must really hate Star Trek. And I slammed my beer down and looked him in the eye and said, you haven't been fucking paying attention to anything I've been saying. I love this show. And that's so, that's still so true for me. I can pick, it's like family. I can pick it apart. I can, right? Like there's something about it that's always a little bit, oh, it's a little bit boring. It's a little bit kind of tottering in the tone. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I'll throw down over it. This is my Star Trek. I'm there with Caitlin where these were my friends growing up. And in a lot of ways, this was my family growing up. We talked about Picard being space dad. Fuck, I wish we could all have dads as amazing as fucking Jean-Luc Picard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this show is something so special to so many of us. And I know that it's not just me. It's not just Caitlin or Forrest or Justin or Ryan. There's a reason why we're still talking about it 20 years later. And for me, this all comes from, you know, like being a little kid sitting down. I talked about this a few times in this episode, but while I'm watching this episode, my dad was very sick. And he um, he died shortly after this air. And so for me, this episode is kind of the, um, it's goodbye to Star Trek, but in a lot of ways, it's goodbye to childhood. And because of that, there's something about it that I both love and hate. But those two things go hand in hand for me. And at the end of the day, that optimistic perspective on what we could be as not just people watching the show, but as people. Um, The show doesn't just stop at, hey, let's look at space. Let's look at stars. It asks us a very important question, which is, okay, you went into space. You started exploring, but you never stopped to ask, are you, do you even belong here? Are you worthy to belong to an intergalactic federation of people? And what I love about Star Trek is, against the backdrop of so many other shows and stories, Star Trek is a resounding, emphatic, yes, we are worthy, we are good enough, we will live up to it. And for me, nothing else comes close to that affirmation of human endeavor and human spirit. How can you not love it? All right, and now for my bonus question. And this is specifically for Michael. Um, We can all get into it later. But, uh, Michael, do you think the end of this episode would have been improved by Guinan showing up? (laughs) Absolutely and emphatically not. The fact that Guinan doesn't show up in this episode is probably one of its strongest factors. If Guy anywhere in this episode to fix the problem for Picard, it throws a monkey wrench into the entire thing that Q is trying to test. The entire affirmation of are we worthy, are we good enough, Guinan fucks it up by being Guinan and being there and going, oh no, I can solve it for you. Fuck that. We don't need Guinan. We don't need her here to solve it for us. We'll do it our own damn selves. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> 
No, that I, was. I think Guinan. Yeah, <laughs> I think Guinan should have showed up with a hat as big as an O birth class. <laughs> oh, floating out in space with like, with Ooh. detached nacelles that just hover around her head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm not. I'm yeah. You put a nickel in there. I'm all wound up. So if if I ever got the chance to talk to the people who are there, thank them so much. Like thank you so much for giving this to us. Uh, it's such a lovely send off. It's such a lovely letter to Star Trek fans and to just you know our hopes and aspirations. Definitely, definitely. Well. Um, I think that that really says it all for TNG. Um, we're going to be back next week. We're going to talk about DS9. We're going to talk about Voyager and Enterprise and Discovery. Space and, baseball. Yeah, space baseball. Space um, ball. No, not space balls. Space baseball. Different show. I think the the thing I really would like is before we finish up this miniseries, I want there to be a Lower Decks two-parter. <laughs> oh, that that um, would be the, the ticket right there. That would be amazing. But uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody that has participated in our TNG miniseries. Um, you know, Sarah, Steph, Dylan, Katie, like even, even the folks that Derek. are not... Derek, right. Sorry, Derek. <laughs> even the folks that are not uh, currently... In this episode, you know, like this has been quite the way to watch Star Trek. I don't know. It's it's very interesting viewing it through this lens. And I am just so appreciative of you guys for like coming in and sharing your perspective on that, because I think, you know, you guys really nailed it. Like TNG is the touchstone for a lot of people and it it works on so many different levels, no matter when you come at it, whether you were young, whether you were old, whether you were middle-aged, like, it just, it, it it resonates and it grabs you by the core because its theming is so strong, because it's not about, you know, an M-class planet that we found and let's go see if there's a Gorn on there for me to fight. It's, it's, it's about the people. It's about the people and it's about connections. And that's why, you know... We, we wanted to do this because we like connecting with people like you fine folks. So with that, thus endeth two star, two Trek, the TNG era. And uh, sky's the limit, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs>